Well, welcome to our podcast, The Principalship, The Worst Job I Ever Loved. With me today is IEE Leadership Coach, Frank McMurray, and so excited to share Frank's knowledge and expertise with all of you. So one of the things I'm most excited about and I feel blessed about um, is the caliber of the coaches that work for the Institute for Excellence in Education. And I'm really excited to have the opportunity to introduce uh, everyone in our audience to Frank McMurray, who is a leadership coach for IEE. And Frank brings a wealth of information and experience uh, from his work as a principal. And he's sharing that with leaders across the state. So I wanted to take this opportunity to interview uh, our principals who work at the Institute as leadership coaches and have everyone hear a little bit more about your background, Frank, and um, some of the worst parts of the job you had and some of the things you really loved about the job. So welcome, Frank. Thank you, Sherry. I appreciate being here. Yeah. I appreciate you letting me share my story. Yeah, it's, it's, you, have, you have great stories. Lots, <laughs> lots of people can learn from your experiences. So Frank, we are working on a podcast uh, focused on helping principals manage all of the things that make life so stressful you want to give up. And we need strong and good principals to stay in the field and to um, be committed to kids and to lead. And we need those principals who are new and learning to have good role models so that they know wh where they're going and, and how to respond in situations. So our podcast, as you know, is called The Principalship, The Worst Job I Ever Loved. Which there's a little bit of tongue in cheek in that, right? Because um, in my heart, I believe it was the best job I ever did also, but you know, there were times it was hard. So tell us a little bit about the hard times for you and, and what were the things that really challenged you as you were a principal to persevere? Well, I think the hard times were uh, everything the first year, just <laughs> like the first year of teaching. Your, your first trip around the track is always filled with everything new. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, the hundreds of emails you get a day uh, and the 50 or 100 texts you get a day and the phone calls you get a day. So all of that stuff, all of those items coming in at you uh, with no ability to slow it down. Mm -hmm. It's at its own pace. And it was up to us as new principals to uh, find that pace and manage that pace. So that was probably the most difficult thing was just understanding the pace of the job. Um, I, as a teacher, you're busy and you're on. Uh, as a principal, you're busy before the school day starts. You're busy after the school day ends. Um, it is a nonstop uh, race to the finish. So it's it's a lot of work. So one of the one of the challenges is just the sheer magnitude of the job. The principal is everything to everyone. And doing that for the first time is a bit overwhelming. It was. And I think within the matter of the first two days that I, I got a principalship of a middle school, um, I called my mentor. I stepped out of a meeting with the cabinet, called my mentor, and I started crying. And I, I said, how do you handle two or 300 emails a day? And he just started laughing. Mm -hmm. And uh, he goes, you can't. You can't. Yeah. So it's okay. So. Yeah. Uh, leaning on mentors, leaning on people that um, that you trust is important, but um, it's it's going to be a challenge no matter what. But you have to keep on going. Mm -hmm. 
So you raised a couple of good points that help people through that process. Uh, one of them is the idea of reaching out to a mentor, someone mm -hmm. who's been there, done that, and has the ability to say, it's okay, you're gonna make it, be consistent, push through. Um, the other thing I, I heard you say is that you have to sort through the priorities. And when 300 emails are coming in, you're not going to answer 300 emails. <laughs> right. Yeah. First, finding that mentor. Um, I've always looked to, to mentors in my life. I've had great bosses um, that I've been able to lean on and have welcomed questions. And if I didn't call them, they would call me. So they checked in on me. Um, the other avenues of the job that come at you, uh, emails, parent phone calls, discipline, um, it, it is, is one of those things that you have to pace yourself and, and get to the end of the day and take care of the things that you don't need to be present for in the school day after school hours. Um, but it is something that it's a, a certain, there's a certain level of acceptance that you took the charge of the building. Now you're responsible for that. And, um, I think beyond that, um, you have to use your work ethic that you developed over the time and, uh, it'll, it'll come, but being patient with yourself is, is valuable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Patience with yourself. That's a, a interesting, uh, approach and super important to new, new principles. Mm -hmm. We're always tough, toughest on ourselves, right? Absolutely. Uh, so for me, when I was a, a young administrator, there was a pivotal point at which I was like, I'm not sure that I can do this. Mm -hmm. Did you have a similar experience and can you share it with us? I did. I did. Um, so I had this great idea um, as a new uh, principal in a new new district that I, I had 1,100 students and I had the grand idea that I would call every single parent before the school year started. So I was hired on July 1st and by August, the middle of August, when, when we started school, I would call 1,100 parents. Um, I was quickly guided that wouldn't be a good idea and it wouldn't be achievable. So uh, my next idea was to have a parent night, meet Mr. Mack. So I opened up the auditorium to the entire community. Um, I thought it was a great idea. Just come in and meet me and get me one-on-one. -on -one. So I had about 50 people in the audience when it started. And then when it ended, there were about 300. Wow. Um, so people wanted to meet me. People wanted to, to see who I was. People wanted to challenge me and people wanted to vent about their old complaints about the previous leader and the, the previous conditions of the building. And um, I think it was at that point I, I remembered the lesson of developing Teflon in my skin to kind of shield those things away from me and, and not let them stick to me. But uh, reassure everybody I was listening. So I, I practiced to be a good listener. And I was given a list by a parent of 64 uh, items that I needed to fix in the school. So throughout the year, I did. I, I finished all 64 of those items and they were absolutely silly things, but I, I did finish them. And uh, I knew in the last day of school that I had made it through my first year. And, and I, I say, it's kind of like, um, uh, going around the track for your first time. I got to the, to the end of the first lap and uh, I was very relieved. And I knew that if I could take that year and I could take that um, uh, type of parenting style uh, and that type of community involvement, 
that I would be okay. I just, I had faith. Uh, well, in the beginning I had hope <laughs> and I believed, but then at the end I had faith that once I had gone through that entire year, I had developed my suit of Teflon um, to not let things stick to me. Uh, I would be okay. And then I was, and then I had a beautiful relationship with the community and the parents. I always had that handful of parents that was a challenge, but I welcomed that because I knew I had something to learn from them and uh, to make things better um, for kids. And, and that's why I was there for the kids. So you talked about um, a couple of things. One being your intention really was about building relationships, right? Like mm -hmm. we know the importance of relationship building in a school to get in front of any problems. You need to know the parents. Mm -hmm. And so your intention was really positive. And um, also maybe a little naive to the fact that people would want to welcome you with a fresh start is what I think you said. And, yeah. and, and that they came en masse with 300 people there sort of yeah. firing things at you. And in, in the moment you probably realized like, this is not what I had intended. And you made a choice, I heard you talk about, a choice that was uh, either to take it personal and get defensive or to get curious and to listen and pay attention to what they were saying, whether it was your fault or not, they were passionate about their feelings. They were, and I, I, I had to be an active listener. I had to uh, reassure them that I, I was the person. I was completely naive. I, mm -hmm. I thought, once you get to know me, you're gonna <laughs> love me. And that was very naive because there are some things that are out of my control. I, I couldn't control and it influenced everyone in a positive way. I just couldn't. Um, so it was naive of me to think that, but I also think it was ambitious. And um, I knew that was one of the problems in the community is that relationship with the principal hadn't been there in a couple decades. And um, it was one of the things that I, I read in my interview that the building needed. And um, I was willing to take the, the risk and, and gamble on that night. Uh, I did go home and cry again. Uh, it was it was not it was not fun, um, but I knew that once I made it through, it was it was the right thing to do for the community. Yeah. So one of the things um, in the podcast I talk about is crying. <laughs> I would go hide in my car, go for a little ride, but you know you're just getting away for a minute to to recollect yourself. Um, what kind of disposition does it take to face that kind of conflict directed right at you? And that happens all the time to school leaders, right? Like people carry their anger, their trauma, all those pieces right back to the school leader mm -hmm. and sort of explode all of that on you. What, what does it take from a disposition standpoint for that leader to pull themselves back together and, and stand up and say, I'm okay, I'm going in the right direction? Because you said it was ambitious and I, <laughs> I recognize the ambitious as a positive thing, mm -hmm. right? You were able to take the challenge on because you knew it was what was needed. So what, what dispositions did you have to have to do that? So one of the things is I'm very competitive, um, <laughs> almost to a fault. And uh, there are times when we have family picnics that I have to win the horseshoe event. I have <laughs> to win the cornhole toss. I, and it's, it's sometimes a bad part of me comes out. I'm uh -huh. just too competitive. But I think, and, and I've learned this from my wife and being married for 37 years, that um, I don't have to win an argument. And that disposition of always wanting to win was not good. Mm -hmm. um, I had to learn that it wasn't about winning an argument with a parent. Um, it was about listening uh, because 
almost in every instance when I had a parent uh, conversation in, in the drive of the school or driveway of the school or the library or in my office or at a football game, um, a confrontational conversation. It was just about them being able to share about their child, their baby, that this is a concern of theirs. And once they were able to express their concern and get their venom and anger out at me, then it was dispersed. And, and it, um, for me, it kind of, I, I wouldn't let it stick to me. Um, and I didn't want to win. I just wanted to listen. And that was hard for me. I was not, an, I'm not a natural listener. I'm a natural observer. But as far as listening, it was a skill I knew that I had to have because I, I knew that being in a marriage, that <laughs> winning every argument is not good. I mean, yeah. it, it's, it's not, not good for the relationship. And I took that to the parents' uh, relationship, parental relationships. And it wasn't about winning. It was just about listening. And then, then I, again, I knew that once people got to know me, they would like me. And, and I, for most cases, that would be true. Yeah. And so uh, what what I hear you describe is that con that conflict really wasn't about engaging in affective conflict. Mm -hmm. It was really about what we call cognitive conflict and understanding that they're coming from a place where they're passionate about their kids. They're the mama bears and the papa bears sure. who are really there because they want the best for their children. And so keeping the conflict cognitive made it so you could be a good listener and not get emotionally in, engaged in it. And it's hard, right? When it they're is, coming at is. you. Yeah. And, and I think it's that Carolyn McCanders thing. It's, it's dialogue versus discussion. Dialogue mm -hmm. is conversation. Discussion is decision-making. And it wasn't a discussion. It was more of a dialogue and mm -hmm. they just needed to be able to share their yeah. side and, yeah. and they felt better. And yeah. I appreciated them being able to share. Mm -hmm. That's exciting. So what was the, um, Best memory, the best highlight you have, the thing, the part about the love, the best, the worst job I ever loved. What was the, the part that, you know, kept you going every day that pushed you to move from a teacher to an assistant principal to a principal to now a leadership coach focusing mm -hmm. on? So what, what's that thing? So I can just relate it kind of to having a mentor now. Mm -hmm. uh, I have several mentors for different areas of my life. Um, that I've leaned on. But one of the things that made, made the most sense to me when I started coaching, I was 12 years old coaching baseball. Mm -hmm. My baseball coach uh, influenced me, Mr. Fred Chrissy. Um, he influenced me to, to understand because I started coaching at 12. I started coaching with him at clinics when I was 13. Um, and I threw at the time I was 18, I always caught, taught baseball clinics, but what he taught about, what he taught me, what Mr. Chrissy taught me was that if I really loved something, I had to give it away. So if you really love baseball, it was his driving force. Um, he loved baseball so much he wanted to give everything he knew about it away. And as a teacher, as a father, as a, a assistant principal, as a principal, as a coach, I've been given a lot of things. I've been given a lot of gifts and I'm grateful and I want my mission in my life is to give that away. Yeah. I want, I don't want to pass on to my next thing um, without giving everything I have away because I can't use it anymore. Mm -hmm. I want other people to be able to use it. Yeah, that's exciting. And I think you raise another important, important point for principals and school leaders, really. And it, it's that a lot of times we're working on maintaining the day to day and you've made a conscious effort about mentoring and sharing with others. And so we really need 
principals who are successful to reach out to others and support them when they're struggling. And, and uh, that impacted your life enough that you're at, at each level you wanted to be able to mentor and share and give away what you had learned. Yeah, I think that happened in every, every experience I've had um, in, in my work life and my family life. Um, I've got a good relationship with my uncle Ed, who's helped me deal with my father and my mom and mm -hmm. um, my, my wife and my kids. Uh, so that he is my family mentor. But um, it is just so important for me to, to be able to recognize I have somebody I can call um, that I can lean on and, and trust. So mm -hmm. for me, it's about building those trusting relationships um, with, my, with my mentors that I've had over my career and, and all, all walks of mm -hmm. experiences that I've had. Mm -hmm. So what is uh, kind of a, a message you would want to send out to practicing principals? And I don't mean just necessarily new ones, because I think post-COVID principal, principals across the board are struggling with the demands of the work and the, the passion for the mission to provide quality education for the kids is conflicting with the demands of operations and all those other things. So in light of that, what's a message you would want to send to the to principals who are practicing right now? Um, I would say that you have to reach out and you have to lean on and you have to be available to your peers, uh, your other assistant principals and principals and administrators. Um, you have to make yourself available if, if they call you. You have to have the courage and the trust to be able to call somebody. somebody. Um, but I think that there is power in a group and, and when there's when people get together, they reassure each other. Oh, that happened to me too. Or yeah, that happened to me. Um, I, or it hasn't happened to me. Well, tell me more. Mm -hmm. um, so I think um, finding a trusting group uh, to share and then meet with. So I think I, I always relate this to my, my brother, Ben. He said, getting your undergrad, because you don't, you learn way more 15 minutes before the class and then 15 <laughs> minutes after the class than you do during the lecture. Go early, see if you can talk to your colleagues mm -hmm. or your peers, then stay late to talk to the professor because that's when the real learning happens. That's kind of the same thing with, with other items in, in my life that, that those conversations you have before a, a PD session or after a PD session or at lunch, mm -hmm. those are valuable. So take a risk, mm -hmm. ask questions, and trust. Yeah, great. Well, thanks, Frank. Thanks for the work you do for the yeah. Institute on behalf of kids. And um, you are very much giving back to what you've learned. So thanks. thanks. I enjoy it. Join us for our next episode, Start With the First Thing, where we talk about how principals can alleviate stress in their lives by maintaining a focus on students. <laughs> <laughs>